You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio, wherever you can get podcasts. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome in to the first new edition of the Yanks Go Yard Podcast for this week, the last full week of the month of January. And we're finally beginning to get a little bit of movement in Major League Baseball's conversations. Is, it, is some enough? No. But we got to start maybe adjusting our tone to talk about the regular season that, that may or may not occur. I'm Adam Weiner, alongside Thomas Carinante. Welcome to the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review along with a mailbag question. We'll be more than happy to answer it. Talking CBA Talks plus Alex Rodriguez. Today's the day for the first ever official word from the BBWAA on his Hall of Fame chances. We feeling good? No, we're actually feeling worse than we were a couple weeks ago. Also, the Yankees getting competition from the Atlanta Braves for Matt Olson. If the Braves are planning a preemptive strike, how does that hurt or help the Yankees? Plus, a trade option at shortstop you might not have thought of. We certainly had it until we saw it offhandedly mentioned in a CBS Sports column a couple days ago. We're going to talk about all that and probably more. Probably get into a little NFL betting as well by accident. Thomas Carinante, welcome back to the pod. How you doing? It's A-Rod Day. Uh, do we want to start there? Do we want to start with MLB? Slight traction in the CBA. Because I do feel like let's just get the historic A-Rod stuff off uh, right off the bat. Yeah, why not? Uh, A-Rod, he ain't getting in today. Uh, might not get in. Might not get in ever. Um, <clears throat> we might not see. We might see uh, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds fall off the ballot today, uh, which would be which would be something. Uh <clears throat> especially because I was uh, who tweeted it today. It was maybe Heyman or someone that uh, bonds before, I guess he had test get, uh, before he was accused of doing steroids um, or performance enhancing drugs or whatever it was. He already had become the first player in baseball history to hit 400 home runs and steal 400 bases. 
Um, so clearly he was a Hall of Fame player before he started uh, doing whatever that he may have done, uh, which we still don't know if it's true because he never tested positive for anything. Uh, Rodriguez, on the other hand, uh, was a five-tool player, well on his way to stardom Hall of Fame discussion. Um, but he tested positive fairly early in his career, 2003, after he had his first full season in 96. I don't think eight years or seven years of playing baseball is enough to justify that you've had a Hall of Fame career before you started cheating. Um, so I think that's why A-Rod's case is going to be a little bit more complicated um, than a lot of these others. And especially if guys like Bonds and Clemens, who did not test positive, are not getting in, I think A-Rod's got a long, long way ahead of them. Um, it is a shame, though, because one of the best natural players – we're ever going to see, at least in our lifetimes, um, three-time MVP, silver slugger, gold glove winner. Um, you know, one of the he moved. moved he was a all-world shortstop and moved over to third base when he came to the Yankees uh, because Derek Jeter was playing that position, and he ended up being a very good third baseman. Um, insane how it's kind of all transpired for him. Uh, we saw the big guy at the Packers game this weekend. He might have been some bad juju for Green Bay. Uh, responsible for their early exit. What was he doing? He was like yelling cheese. Like doing yeah, this yelling cheese. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's just got a new buddy. I don't know oh. who that guy was. I don't know who that girl yeah. was. I, I don't. And I don't know why. Uh, if you're a rod and you want to go to the Packers game and it feels like zero degrees or negative four or whatever, like I would take a box. I would. I would sit in the box and it yeah. felt like he. Maybe he was like, no, I want to be a man of the people, like a last-ditch attempt to prove he's as cool as Big Poppy, and, like, it ended up just absolutely not working at all. He also owns the Minnesota Timberwolves. Like, not the, mm-hmm. he's not the full owner, but he's got ownership stake in Minnesota sports, and he was screaming out cheese with the rest of the, uh, you know, Packers faithful. So, you know, it's it's not it, – it doesn't take a lot of dot connecting to figure out why there was an A-Rod curse there on, on the Packers' horrible performance on Saturday night. Terrible. Um, but yeah, that is a man of the people move. I'll give A-Rod credit for that. I know he's usually a tryhard. He's always trying to inject himself into the into yeah. the public spot. He's always like, trying to inject himself. Like yeah, he's definitely not <laughs> <laughs> No, he actually, no, the gummies were the, his last uh, mm-hmm. infraction. So he, he had circumvented the system um, and made way for, you know, the weed industry to move, move on to their to, to the edibles. The guy the guy was ahead of his time. Um, anyway. The guy's a pioneer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, another thing that I wanted to note about that we talked about this morning about uh, the Hall of Fame ballot, um, I, it has nothing to do with A Rod. So get your thoughts out on A Rod before I go on a fun tangent. I'll toss to you in one second. I just want to say that I, I think I I knew A Rod wasn't getting in. I'm not dumb. I mean, A Rod yeah. has more infractions than Bonds and Clemens and the guys that have already been banished from the ballot. I mean, he's suspended for a full season. That's Manny Ramirez level. It's beyond everybody else's. But at first, him and Ortiz were running stunningly parallel. Like Ortiz, it looked like he was going to get in. It always looked like he had the momentum. But he was clocking in at around like 80% of ballots, and A-Rod was at something like 60 early on. And I was like, is A-Rod going to cross like 50%? And are we going to have to have like a real conversation about how maybe five or six years down the line, when we start injecting millennials into the Hall of Fame voting process, that maybe A-Rod actually gets in and we he's actually the first, you know, even though he's the only one with a full year of suspension, maybe he's the first steroid guy to get in just because he was so exceptional and he was Barry Bonds playing shortstop by and large for a large portion of his career. Um, but now he's trending below 40%. He's in like the high 37s and the anonymous ballots that flock in at the end. I mean, we'll all know tonight, but 
Ryan Thibodeau's tracker, the percentage before they reveal all the anonymous ballots for the steroid guys, it's always higher than where it actually ends up because everybody who hates steroid guys is like low technology, low grade users. And so they don't tweet their ballots out. It's just a bunch of like 75 year olds who will never touch a steroid user. So all those guys lose five, six, seven, eight to 10 percentage points after the real numbers are revealed. So I just started this process being like, oh, I'm kind of surprised that A-Rod's like clocking in in a relative, in the respect zone where like, obviously Poppy's going to get more votes than him. Obviously Clemens and Bond's been on this ballot for 10 years. They're going to beat A-Rod, but it kind of felt like he was going to fall around 50%. Now it kind of feels like he's closer to 30, which is once again, firmly in the no chance territory. So move on to your thoughts. But I, I just was surprised this whole time to learn that like, it looked like A-Rod was going to surprise me. And then he came so far back down to earth. Uh, somebody schooled me when I wrote how you'd never see a yes, A-Rod, no Ortiz ballot. One of the, you know, Ryan Thibodeau counters said, actually, there have been like five of them. And for that, I will genuinely tip my cap and say, I didn't see that coming. I didn't think we'd have any of those. Interesting that we do. Um, but you're seeing yeah. way, 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 way more yes, Poppy, no A-Rod ballots as, as time marches on. And A-Rod's going to be so far beyond the threshold uh, below it that he's just, you know, no chance in the next five years very limited chance in the next 10 years unless something changes. Yeah, his case is so complicated because of that suspension. Longest suspension ever served, caught twice um, with positive tests, uh, worst interview in history when he was on CBS or whatever the hell it was. That was was the worst interview I've ever seen. Um, So it's going to be a tough road. Veterans Committee, I don't know. I I don't know. I really don't know, Um, but it's – unless they decide to create a, a new wing of the hall of fame to, to dedicate uh, a section of, uh, of these uh, people who have uh, compromised the integrity of the game, uh, whether it was on the field or off of it. Um, I don't know if he's going to get voted in, which is a shame. Very good baseball player, but here we are. You gotta, you gotta pay for the consequences. Uh, one thing I did wanted to talk about David Ortiz is getting in today, guys. It's going to happen. Great baseball player. Great guy. Um, for the most part, I think, um, arguably the best DH of all time. Uh, however, Joel Sherman took it a little bit too far for me last night uh, on MLB Network. I don't know if you guys saw this, but he essentially paralleled the Hall of Fame cases for David Ortiz and Mariano Rivera, um, two very different players, two very different resumes. Uh, Mariano Rivera holds multiple MLB records, most saves of all time, most games finished of all time, uh, and he leads – he has the highest ERA plus of all time. Uh, David Ortiz um, doesn't hold any records. Uh, he doesn't have an MVP. Um, he has actually a lower war than Mariano Rivera. Um, I am not taking anything away that David Ortiz has done. I just think this was a little bit of a reach of a comparison because when you look at it, yes, they these two had very niche jobs. DH, you're only playing half the game. And your job is... You need to you need to succeed in that job, or else what's the point if you're only hitting? You, you need to hit. You need to deliver. Ortiz hit. He delivered, and he delivered in the postseason to arguably the greatest degree we might ever see in the modern era, um, which I think is a big reason he should be a Hall of Famer. Um, but you know, being a closer is you know being a closer doesn't prevent you from playing. You know, I know you're playing one side of the ball because you're a pitcher. But, you know, you are entering games in the highest of pressure situations um, and your job is completely different. And that that is a job that's been around forever. DH hadn't been around forever. DH just came to be. Um, So 
I think when you hear the name Mariano Rivera and you hear the name David Ortiz, um, I, I do they belong in the same sentence? Sure, they're two generational players. I don't think comparing their hall cases is the same. Um, Mariano Rivera was the best at his position of all time, and it might be indisputable based on what he achieved and and who he surpassed um, on the way there. David Ortiz, great job, great career career might not see a better one in the next 15, 20 years, but guess what? I would bet any amount of money that we're much more likely to see a better DH come along in our lifetime than we are to see a closer of Mariano Rivera's caliber come along in our lifetime. And I'm not even just saying that as a Yankees fan, I'm saying it based on, you know, the totality of what was accomplished here. Um, And, you know, you compare David Ortiz's numbers to other great hitters that have existed over time. Um, and his numbers aren't even close. He's in the 500 home run club, which is great. Uh, but if we're talking once again, stat guys, people like stats, tremendously low war, like 55.6 or something. Um, I know uh, his postseason accolades speak for themselves with the three world series titles. And I think he hit like what, like he hit like 280 with a 947 OPS and like 85 career postseason games. It was ridiculous. 17 homers and like 61 walks. Um, so that's that that go that, that that speaks for itself as well. But I just don't know compare comparing the fact that oh these guys had niche jobs and they both had to succeed in these roles. It's like yeah, David Ortiz had a lot more room for failure going up to bat four or five times a game than Mariano Rivera did being inserted into the ninth inning or you know the eighth inning trying to shut the door on a game when facing the middle of the order and having to do it in succession and not, you know, going back to the bench and sitting down and being like, Oh, what can I do for my next at bat? This would be great. Here's a different approach. Okay, cool. So Joel Sherman took a little bit too far for me. I don't think we need to defend David Ortiz's hall of fame. I don't think any David Ortiz supporters need to defend his case anymore. Um, uh, He's going to get in whether he failed the test or not, whether people are telling you he doesn't deserve to be in or not. So just enjoy it, have fun. Uh, But don't compare him to Mariano Rivera, please. That's it. You think this is annoying now? Get ready for when Craig Kimbrell is going to break Mariano Rivera's all-time saves record. He was ahead of the pace for a while. I think he's got like, I mean, six more good years. He's probably going to do it. Uh, And then you're going to have to answer those questions about why (laughs) Mariano Rivera was better than Craig Kimbrell when everyone alive on planet Earth knows the answer to that question. Um, David Ortiz, great baseball player, Uh, not Mariano Rivera. Uh, Nobody is or ever will be. It's a completely different conversation. Let's talk about the movement on the CBA talks. The teams, uh, by teams, I mean the players and the owners, just got together again for the second straight day today on Tuesday. I think most of us expected no movement ever just because we were very used to a complete lack of movement. Um, And we are not at the finish line. We're nowhere close to it. Uh, Monday's meeting was apparently just as contentious as you would imagine. People going side to side, back and forth everybody screaming like a two-hour meeting there the the two-hour meeting yesterday that resulted in a tuesday meeting was not a pleasant session and it wasn't just a bunch of people shaking hands getting ready to start the major league season it was however surprising uh, for the first time i mean january 13th under two weeks ago was the time when the owners got together with the players presented a proposal players said no immediately because it provided nothing they were asking for talks went nowhere everything stalled so when the sides got back together, I expected more of that. I expected 20 more minutes, people looking at each other, walking out of the room, the players proposing something equally outlandish, maybe outlandish, meaning that the owners would never agree to it, not that it was outlandish and unreasonable to ask for. But everybody's sort of acknowledging, all right, we're going to lose some games here, so let's you know kick the can down the road. We're not budging. 
there was more movement than we thought. It looked like the players caved first uh, because they already agreed to stop arguing up the free agency threshold. Nobody can hit free agency earlier than they had in the past. Uh, that's big. That's a huge movement by the players. I don't know if it's good that they're the ones caving already because I haven't seen the owners cave once about anything. Uh, Tony Clark's leadership in the Players Association has been much bemoaned by many for many years. Um, and I don't think it's, you know, I don't think he's getting accolades for this one either. So I don't know if what maybe we'll see uh, Tony Clark move on after this uh, conversation is has finally met its end, whether we lose games or not. And the owners did say yesterday officially, you know, we're willing to lose games. We're, we're happy to go to the end of the road here and eventually sacrifice some games, which is not what people who love baseball should be saying. Of course, that should be the last resort. It should not be like, look, we're totally down with losing games. Nobody should be. Um, the two sides did get back together on Tuesday. We're still waiting for details to leak out. seems like a much shorter meeting. But again, two days in a row is motion. Two days in a row is not a unilateral rejection in 10 minutes, which is what we had last time the two sides talked under two weeks ago. Um, I was pretty resigned to the fact that maybe we were going to miss three weeks of the season, maybe a month. Definitely shortened spring training. Definitely not starting things up on February 26th or whatever the hell. Um, and we should all be prepared for minor league spring training to take over major league spring training. I'm not changing my tune yet, but I am st- I, for the first time in two months, I believed in baseball yesterday because I saw substantive figures being exchanged by both sides and the, you know, everybody realizing the necessity of progress here. Of course, the owners are still the villains. They're still the ones saying we'll cancel games if we gotta. Obviously, nobody has to. Uh, and you still got the Rockies owner saying, you know, some teams lost more than others during the pandemic. And, you know, I might be too poor to own a team. And it's like, good dude, like sell your team. Um, a lot of people out there are not too poor to own baseball teams. It's for upper echelon folks. If you're too poor to do it, don't do it. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. So I'm still angry at the owners. I'm still not happy that the players are are starting to shed their desires already. But meeting Monday led to meeting Tuesday. That's something to be happy about. Yeah, uh, uh, positive trajectory here, I guess. But my viewpoint of this whole thing is we're still six weeks late. This discussion should have happened six weeks ago uh, when they actually had a conversation instead of just slamming the doors, walking walking out, and then not talking for almost a month and a half um, or a month or whatever it was. Um, they had <clears> – <throat> they met – for seven minutes before they had a chance to uh, salvage everything before the lockout happened. And remember, you still should always be mad at the owners. I understand that um, we had a little snafu on Twitter with people getting mad that there was any blame at all placed on the players union. How could we ever blame the players? We can blame the players because the players, the players association is they are not out for the middle and the lower class of the players. They're out for the biggest contracts possible that satiates 10% of the league. That's why, and and then that that allows Rob Manfred to say before the lockout, hey, billion dollars in contracts given out before the lockout, so he's clearly not a problem. No, it is a problem because then you have guys on the fringe of rosters who are struggling to just, you know, make a living. Um, and, and that's the core issue 
with with all of this. And obviously the revenue sharing as well. Um, I still think even the the top one percent of players deserve you know that that, that uh, a portion of that money too because they're the ones who drive the game. Um, however. Uh, the owners didn't have to lock the players out. They could have just kept things going. It could have just they they could have just kept having discussions. Players could have been in contact with teammates, with coaches, with team doctors to continue to rehab throughout the offseason. So the owners are the bad guys here. Um, I, I am a little bit worried that the the players already relented on one of I guess the core financial aspects of their uh, of their desires for the next CBA with the free agency. Um, I, though I, on the, on the other hand, I do think that's a tough one to negotiate because if you want to talk about parity in the league, if you want to talk about, um, small market teams being able to afford superstar esque players, decreasing the, the, the team control over these guys is not going to help either of those things. Um, and then you're all the haters out there are just going to be like, oh, there's more teams like the Yankees just buying up players or trading for whoever and paying for it in this matter. Well, blah, blah, blah. Um, so uh, it, it is worrisome that that happened. Then again, I don't think that that one was ever realistic. And it, it, to be honest, I don't even really know what's realistic in terms of what they're trying to accomplish here. I know the revenue sharing is is the biggest, um, but uh, outside of outside of that, I, I don't really know. Um, which is why it's confusing that we haven't had more substantive talks because, or heard a lot more of the, of the, what, what else, what else was there aside from, uh, the free agency thing that was discussed yesterday? Do you remember? No, that was the only thing that I really, that was the only thing today people are talking about, um, you know, the, the minimum salary thing, uh, floating around a little bit, um, in terms of, you know, some form. Oh yeah. That's the other one. That's right. So minimum salary and like, I don't think that's going to go up enough for people to be like, oh, yeah, we've solved, you know, wealth inequality in baseball. It's going to go up like 100K, 150K, if that. So um, I just don't know what everybody's I, – I, I mean, I know what they're arguing about. They're arguing about money, but I don't know what specifically within the money argument is being – what they're trying to figure out. So um, it's nice that they're talking two days in a row. Um, it's not nice that the owners are already willing to cancel games. My prediction still is opening day will be May 1st. Um, we'll see how that holds up. Um, spring training is going to be in April. I just think that's it. We're, we're, we're delayed five, six weeks here. Um, and unless we see some sort of miracle happen where these guys, these two sides who hate each other and haven't been able to come, haven't been able to have a conversation, forget about an agreement. You want, they can't even sit in the same room together and get on the same page and even talk about, you know, core aspects of what they need to agree upon for um, this next collective bargaining agreement. So I'm still not optimistic. I do like that they're talking two days in a row. Hopefully we get some more information about the financials today. Um, Hopefully that points us in some sort of direction with a more definitive timeline. Um, However, May 1st, that's when I think we're going to miss a month of baseball. It's going to suck, but I mean, this is this is what they've done. This is what they choose to do. Um, once again, guys, they could have talked about this for years. They could have started the conversations. They could have um, they, they they could have had some sort of discussions over the long term to to determine um, what would what would satiate both sides and how they could avoid this type of you know nuclear option that that we're kind of looking at right now. Um, and they didn't. So it, it is on both sides at the end of the day. Um, the owners are way more at fault 
Um, but the players association really needs to get their ducks in a row and figure this out here. Um, and now, now I am worried that the, the fact that they did relent, it's going to kind of open the floodgates for the owners. And then we're going to be looking at a bad situation. Yeah. I, I agree with you on May 1st that uh, the, the proposal is, you know, the players want to move the minimum salary up to seven seventy five K it's currently at five seventy point five K and MLB proposed a rise oh. to 600 K. So MLB bumping it by 30K and the players want it bumped by 205K. Like, you know, that's that's not a middle ground. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But MLB agreeing to like, yes, of course we should nudge it up the tiniest amount possible. <laughs> like, absolutely not what we asked you to do. Um, you know, that doesn't bode well either. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about Paul DeYoung a little bit. Um, just because Ooh. I was reading, you know, I, just, I like to read. Reading's reading my passions. Man. Um, I read a CBS sports column last week about trades that the, you know, that we want to see occur after the lockout, big moves, Yankees going for Matt Olson and a pitcher Dodgers going for Herman Marquez, Ramon Laureano to the Phillies, I believe, et cetera. Very interesting, very fun. Um, and, and, you know, as we, as every Yankees trade article has these days, there was a section that was like, you know, the, of course they're still going to roll with the stopgap shortstop, it would seem. And, you know, they're going to have to find a more interesting option then. And then they list off all the boring options we've all heard. Andrelton Simmons, Elvis Andrews, um, Matt Chapman, for whatever reason, not a shortstop. Gio Urshela, not a shortstop either. Um, Nick Ahmed, the Diamondbacks, we're all bored of these people. This was the first time I've ever seen that paragraph include Paul DeYoung, um, which, you know, again, it's not me saying I'm extremely interested in trading for Cardinal star Paul DeYoung. I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen options going around uh, that sort of say, uh, it, you know, the Cardinals aren't likely to trade for him. And if they do trade for him, uh, I've seen rumors. Jim Bowden proposed that the Twins trade Trevor Larnock for him. That's one of their top outfield prospects. If that's what it would cost to get this 28-year-old who just had a bad year with an 86 OPS plus coming off an 87 yeah. OPS plus coming off a 90 90- nine OPS plus then no I'm not trading one of my top 10 prospects I'm not trading Austin Wells for Paul DeYoung especially because he's very affordable still uh his contract is through 2023 six years 26 million so he's got two more of those years uh just over four million a year team options in 24 and 25 you keep him as long as you want him basically he's 28 um last year he hit 19 homers worth 1.6 war but hit 197 very good player. Never been a gold glove winner, though. So you can't say he's, you know, an elite gold glove talent. 30 homers, 78 ribs in 2019. Netted him his one all-star appearance. Love that. But again, 99 OPS plus. Only his rookie year in 2017 at the age of 23 was he over that threshold. When he was at 121, finished second in the rookie of the year balloting. 25 bombs, 65 RBI. The next year just nudged over that average at 102. And then after that, three straight below average seasons. And that's where we're left. Uh, Edmundo Sosa played a lot of shortstop for the Cardinals down the stretch. DeYoung was not even their de facto starter by the end of the year. However, it still seems they're, you know, not that inclined to move on from him, which I find strange considering he is very cheap, still a modicum of value there to trade him off. Uh, and if he's not even going to start for you down the stretch, I don't know why you're so preciously desperate to hang on to a player that you're not even sure is the future of the position for you. So then I don't know why you're going to prevent yourself from uh, obtaining assets while there's still something to be had there before you know 2022 and 20 so what 2022 and 2023 is a bench player then you decline his team options and let him walk i would at least go get a top 15 prospect for him if i'm the cardinals i feel like yankees would give you esteban florial and they'd give you somebody else 
and yeah. you've already gotten rid of Adolis Garcia, and you've already gotten rid of Randy Rosarena. You've already gotten rid of young outfielder after young outfielder. We could help you. We could replenish your young outfielder stash a little bit. Maybe Brandon Lockridge, who we're eventually going to have to protect from the Rule 5 someday. <laughs> you know, he's, he's eligible this year. If the Rule 5 even happens, we already haven't protected him. But that's a guy who feels like a classic Cardinal. Maybe you can get him from us in a trade. I don't know. Um, I was I was about 15% more intrigued by Paul DeYoung than I was the rest of the list of extremely boring names that I've read a million times already. I'm not sure where you land on this one. We're draining the well of – not you and I, but the world is okay. just draining the well of options here because of the lockout. Um, <clears throat> I'll entertain every option. I think it's fun. Um there's because in any any MLB offseason ever you just you can't rule anything out you'll see stuff at the buzzer that you were never expecting a trade will happen at 11 30 at night in a on a random February night and you'll be like what the hell is going on mm-hmm. um so I'm never going to rule out any of these types of things um however I think this is a little bit of a stretch here if you're talking about the Yankees getting better as opposed what well, like what 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 do we want to do here do we want to get better or do we just want to put somebody at shortstop to play baseball Um, because if we're going to put somebody at shortstop to play baseball, I mean, I'm not pro Andrelton Simmons, but like at that point you might as well just do it. Why are you going to trade a prospect to inherit? Dijon's actually making a little bit more. He's making a 6.2 million next year, this year, 9.2 million the year after. And then he's got a $2 million buyout. So you're looking around 18 million for the two years. Mm -hmm. Um, And this doesn't exactly improve the Yankees. He's had one stellar defensive season, which came in his career year 2019 when he was that all-star and he's a high strikeout righty bat. Um, so uh, I, I don't, I don't know where this fits in, in the Yankees lineup aside from him just being a body and playing shortstop um, and maybe being good, even though we have a larger track record of him not really being that good. Um, I'm not, I don't think that he, I think he possesses the potential to unlock something, I don't think it's worth the Yankees to trade something for it. I don't think the Cardinals are going to look for any cheap return here, considering that they did lock him up on what you would, I guess, call that team-friendly contract. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if – why would they tra- – wasn't there, like, a rumor that Trevor Story could go to the Cardinals too and, like, this is kind of snowballing all that? Like, I don't even know. Um, but, yeah, and then he and then he doesn't play – a ton of shortstop down the stretch and he, and he's just not good. Cause he batted what, what did he bat last year? 197. 197. Yeah. Yeah. So just a really not good season. Like I said, one stellar defensive year, 26 defensive runs saved. Everything else is just totally whatever. Um, so if you're talking about the Yankees here who are cost conscious about everything, would you rather them inherit 18 million in salary and surrender a prospect that you might like, or, you know, that they might have to sell a little bit higher than they thought because maybe there's competition on the market or maybe the Cardinals just don't want to part with the guy because they think that he can unlock something and they're not giving him away for free. Um, Or would you rather just sign a stopgap option and try to figure it out? Or would you rather just promote one of the other prospects and see what they could do? Can Oswaldo Cabrera play shortstop on opening day? Um, Could uh, Oswald Peraza play shortstop by the middle of the year? And then we figure something out. I'd rather go that route. Um, I'd rather sign one of the bad shortstop uh, stopgap options and then just cut them in June to make way for one of the younger guys than do something like this. Um, this is this is a weird like purgatory move that doesn't make sense. It doesn't check any boxes. It gets you a guy with that has a decently big name who has some success uh, um, at the MLB level, 
um, but doesn't move the needle for the Yankees. It's it, here. It is either you spend big or you go super young. I, I don't. I don't know why this would be a consideration for the Yankees. I get that. And I, I like floating Oswaldo Cabrera in there too, because I think he's often disrespected when there's in fact a, a pretty solid chance that he is sort of a good field, more power yeah. than anyone's expecting guy. And he breaks camp with, the t- I think he might be our last guy on the bench um, or at least he is mine. And, and you follow the breadcrumbs all the way to the Tyler Wade cut. Uh, it definitely seems like the Yankees value him pretty highly. So something to keep an eye on. One more thing before we go, don't want to take up too much of y'all's time. You've been so nice hanging out with us all day when you could yeah. be, uh, twiddling your thumbs, doing the David Ortiz research yourself, getting to the bottom of the, uh, you know, figuring out where the where the roids came from and, and who sold him the stuff and you know, all, the work, all the hard work Ortiz said he was going to do uh, 19 years ago and, and still hasn't done. So uh, God bless you all who who may, maybe that's you know get back to your day. We don't want to distract you any longer. But uh, Ken Rosenthal's latest update yesterday did uh, you know we're, we're trying to put these first base pieces all together in, in a puzzle. We've got you know Freddie Freeman. Couldn't come to any sort of consensus with the Braves before the deadline. But isn't he going to stay with the Braves? But what if he doesn't stay with the Braves? He wants six years. The Braves don't want to give him six years. Maybe the Yankees can cut in line there. Or maybe the Dodgers will because he's a California boy. And the Dodgers like to spend money. And we don't. If we're not going to spend money on a shortstop, are we really going to do it on a first baseman? So it's Matt Olson or Anthony Rizzo for the Yankees. And then, well, we didn't get the Matt Olson trade done before the deadline. And by deadline, I mean lockout starting. And so... Are we really going to get it done afterwards? How close were we? Fans with sources saying we're at the one-yard line, but that's a lie. So what's the reality there? And if we are going to get him, are we going to add a pitch or two? And then, oh, by the way, Anthony Rizzo is just sitting at home while he watches the Yankees and Dodgers and Braves play musical chairs going, hey, I also exist, and I was your big acquisition at last year's deadline, and now nobody cares? Cool. Nobody cares at all? Got it. So the one constant in all that first base juggling is that the Yankees do need to fill that hole. Freeman still feels unlikely in comparison to you know Olsen, who's available for just prospects, Rizzo, who's available for just money and is waiting around. Freeman, it's going to take six years and about two hundred million to get it done, and it's just hard to imagine him not in a Braves uniform until the day actually arrives when he's not in a Braves uniform. Now, people came out last week said the Yankees were the number two destination for Freeman behind the Braves. That was big because we all sort of assumed, all right, well, Braves to Dodgers pipeline or just back to the Braves, and that's it. Now the Braves are getting in on the other piece of the Yankees puzzle. Rumor has it that Ken Rosenthal wrote a big story about whether or not the Braves and Freeman were both poised to sort of do preemptive strikes to get back at each other as soon as this lockout is lifted, meaning Freeman's got a deal in place elsewhere, or at least he's conceived of a deal elsewhere. Uh, And then, you know, the the thought being that the Braves are seeing Freeman dawdling. They saw it before the deadline, and they're just going to come out guns blazing after this lockout is lifted and going, oh, you thought you were coming back here? That's actually really interesting because we just pulled off a Matt Olson trade. He's four and a half years younger than you. He's from Atlanta. You're from California. Have a good one. Have a good trip. Um, so that was Rosenthal's thought that the Braves are actually, you know, sort of considering this Olson thing. And they did have Olson conversations before the lockout was installed, which is what we thought, but what we didn't know before this week. We thought we'd heard it was a fit. Obviously, if the Braves are having trouble with Freeman, why wouldn't you try to get the number one slugging first baseman on the market? Rosenthal made it clear those two sides did talk, and they could theoretically just pick it back up the day the lockout ends. They must have been close enough that Rosenthal thinks it's valid. I mean, not that a deal was being hammered out, but that they had enough of a conversation that once the lockout's over, they could quickly get revenge on Freddie Freeman by just calling the A's back up. So now... Where do you th- where does that leave us? Does that leave the Yankees in a worse place with Olsen than before you learn this information? Does it just put external pressure on them to get a deal done there as soon as possible? 
does it maybe make the Yankees balk at including a Chris Bassett or another pitcher and a Manaya and just saying, uh, yeah, okay, so we, we want Olsen. You got us. You know, you, you got us. You knew we wanted him, and we did. So we'll just, you know, smaller deal. We'll finish it now to get ahead of the Braves. Um, and so if the Braves are considering Olsen, does that make it less likely the Yankees are going to do it? More likely they'll try to beat the Braves at the finish line. Um, and less or more likely on the Freeman thing, too. Like, if the two sides are plotting preemptive strikes, is he out the door? Or are the Braves getting tired of this? This is this opens the door, I think, to a lot of possibilities here. That uh, Them getting in a bidding war with the Dodgers over Freeman, and even the Blue Jays, we heard again rec- as recently yeah. as over this weekend that the Blue Jays were serious about Freddie Freeman. Sound it sounds inconceivable because you have Vladimir Guerrero. What are you going to do? He's going to be your DH forever. Uh, okay, maybe I don't. I don't know. Is he going to go back to third base? Probably not. So that that confuses things as well. Um, but then if you're the Yankees, you just you cannot let Freddie Freeman go to the Blue Jays. So you just got to figure out whatever it's going to take money wise and just make it happen. Um, it is a tough scene though if they are negotiating. Uh, if they are in a bidding war with the Dodgers because the Dodgers lost a lot of key pieces, they still don't know what's going on with Clayton Kershaw. Um, <clears throat> that roster has holes on it, believe it or not, for a 106-win team. A lot of holes there after what they've lost and even what they didn't have coming into this offseason and what they needed. Freddie Freeman will allow them to kind of reconfigure their infield um, and get them back to, you know, the juggernaut that they, that they, you know, they still are, but this would have, they wouldn't be missing a beat if Freeman joins uh, the party for 2022. However, for the Yankees, um, I still like Freddie Freeman as an option. If Olsen does go to the Braves, um, it does create a little bit more of a situation where you're like, oh man, the Yankees have to pay more money or they have to get in these types of talks. Like this is not making me feel comfortable. They don't like doing this, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then you look at the trade situation with the A's, maybe this opens the door for an easier deal for Matt Chapman. Then you insert him at third base. You get a pitcher on your hands as well. Figure out what to do with Gio or Shelly. You could probably get a nice bullpen piece for him um, or, or a top prospect, whatever you want to do. I, don't, I wouldn't prefer doing that, but um, I think that could be on their radar. Or you could just go the route of saying, "Hey, A's, I want two of your starting pitchers. We're going to beef up the rotation. So let's see, what we're, well, let's let's see what we can work out here." Um, so uh, and then, like I said, like like we've said, it, it doesn't really matter who we have at first base. I understand there are better. It goes Freeman, Olson, Rizzo. But if the Yankees are ending up with one of those guys, it doesn't matter. And then even if they don't, guys, like Luke Voigt as the first baseman is fine for me. I don't know about you, but that's fine for me. He was just deadlifting 405 pounds with ease uh, in a workout video that 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 came up uh, a week or two ago. I'm fine with this guy playing first base. He's gonna hit. He's good if he's healthy. He's gonna hit 30 home runs. Um, he's gonna provide the energy that the that the clubhouse needs. Um, he's really not that bad of a defensive first baseman. He's not gold glove caliber, but he's not, he's not making gaffes on a nightly basis. Like labor Torres was making at shortstop, uh, for the last year and a half. So, um, the Yankees have options here. They don't need to splurge at the first base position. I don't think they need to do anything too crazy. It would be nice if they did. And then they could maybe, you know, package Voight and Urshela in some sort of situation, get that 10 million off the books bring Chapman in that essentially cancels out the salary. Cause I think he's making like, I think he's making like 11 million or something um, and then bring in another pitcher. So it's like the spending wasn't even really that big of a deal. Um, so I don't know what this does in terms of 
greater likelihood for the first base situation because the first base situation is still jumbled to me, regardless of what happens, regardless if Freddie Freeman signs elsewhere first, or regardless if Matt Olson gets trade elsewhere first, or regardless of if Anthony Rizzo's like, I'm not waiting for the Yankees. I'm just going to sign elsewhere first. Um, I think it opens the possibility for them to do stuff elsewhere uh, with Chapman specifically, and then upgrading the rotation. I don't think it's a bad idea to get two of those rotational pieces and, no. and, and, and figure out what to do there. Then you're talking about, you have, you can have six starters that can eat 120 plus innings. Um, assuming Luis Severino's okay and is able to um, inhale that type of workload. And it might even be better for him if he's throwing, you know, around the 100 mark. So he's not getting too overwhelmed. And then you can, you can really uh, put the foot on the gas pedal with him in the postseason. Uh, thinking way too far ahead though, because this is right now is the fourth best team in the AL East. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I don't really know what this means for the first base conversations. I do know that um, it, it does give them the, if, if this is, if the Braves and the A's did agree to something beforehand and it, and it allowed them to pick up the pace right when the lockout was lifted and get a deal done within, you know, 24 to 48 hours. Um <clears throat> I I think it, it allows the Yankees to get more creative with what they could potentially do to improve the roster for next year. I like the two rotation options thing. I am ti- I'm dead tired of hearing that Luis Severino is just going to be our number two. That is a crazy unfair assumption. He didn't appear in Major League Baseball until mid-September last year. Hope for the best for him, but that is just not something you can count on if you if that's if that's your consideration for why the Yankees are contenders next year and not as you said rightfully the fourth best team in the division right now. I like the two pitchers thing. I'm just so tired of talking about buzz about there maybe being buzz. Just, yeah. just lift this. Give us actual buzz. Give us sides they're talking. Give us things with deadlines instead of just, you know, at some point in the next two months, the Braves and A's might start talking trade. Okay, great. I'm so tired of this. But we'll keep giving it to you as long as we have to. That is it for this edition of the Ace Go Yard podcast. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review along with a mailbag question. We'll be more than happy to answer it. And join us live on YouTube, 2 o'clock Eastern Mondays and Thursdays. We're well aware this is not a Monday. It is, in fact, Tuesday. But typically, it's going to be Mondays and Thursdays. Moving forward, 2 o'clock Eastern until the regular season begins. Until next time, I'm Adam Weiner. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weiner. Please enjoy your final hours where David Ortiz is not a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Thomas Carinante, where can the people find you? At Tommy's underscore takes. You can also see our bylines at yanksgoyard.com. Plenty of off-season content for you there. We're having a good time. Talk to us on the official Yanks Go Yard Twitter account, too, at YanksGoYardFS. Uh, give us anything, any sort of conversation, discourse, whatever. We uh, The minds are racing. We're going to weird, weird places deep inside our brains because we got no baseball. We want to hear what you're thinking, too. Um, And until then, we'll see you Thursday, 2 p.m., live, YouTube, Twitter. Take care, everyone. See you Thursday, only two more days. Can't wait to see you there. Bye, everybody. Jamie's Log. Progressive. The Harrington's Backyard, day 11, 4.43 a.m. The tent I set up in the Harrington's Backyard to prove Progressive has 24-7 protection has a rip in it. But a little rain won't stop me. Mrs. Harrington said she totally understands 24-7 protection means 24-7. Gonna stay a few more days to make sure. It's hailing now. That's fun. Progressive doesn't just offer a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection. Just not literally from Jamie. 
Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.